Well, you're all very welcome this evening, those who are joining in uh, to this Zoom service, and then also those who listen later on on our WhatsApp page and on our Facebook page. Uh, we trust that as we look up to God these days, that we know his help and we know his strength. Our call to worship this evening comes from the psalm that we'll sing in a few moments. The psalmist says in Psalm 100, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It's a psalm that, uh, in which God invites the nations of the earth to come and know him. And God has appointed that one way that we can do that, and that is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're singing from the B setting of this psalm. For those of you who are able to follow along in the psalm book with the tunes, it's tune number 22. All people that on earth do dwell. Let's praise God together. All people that on earth do Sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, himself with mirth his praise Come ye before him and rejoice. God indeed, without our aid he did us we are his flock, he doth us and for his sheep he doth us With joy, his thoughts Lord, and bless his name For it is a seamless in prayer. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and we pray. Heavenly Father, we gather in this remote and distant way this evening once more to worship and magnify your great name. We thank you that we're joined not only with one another this evening as we see each other's faces on the screens before us, but we thank you that we are joined to a great number of men and women and boys and girls scattered across the face of this earth 
lifting up their voices to acknowledge the wonder of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that our voices too are, uh, are mingled with the voices of those who've already finished their journey and now in heaven worshiping you around the throne and saying, worthy is our God to receive glory and honor and praise. We rejoice in the great God that you are, a God who is good, God who is full of grace and mercy, a God whose mercies are forever sure, reliable and dependable. We thank you that you're the God who is truth and that as we take your word to hear, to read and to hear this evening, that we can depend upon it and rely upon it, for it is your word, the God who is truth. We rejoice, mighty God, in your great love that today you've been gathering a flock for yourself, men and women and boys and girls who by nature are like wandering sheep without a shepherd, but you've gathered them to yourself and given them new hearts to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice, mighty God, that the gospel of Jesus is not a gospel for just one particular type of person or one nation of the earth. But in this psalm that we've sung to your praise, that you call all the men and women of the earth to know and to bow before your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and follow him. We confess our sins before you, mighty God. Forgive us that we so quickly forget the great God that you are. Forgive us that we forget that you're the help and the strength of your people, and we worry ourselves needlessly. And we pray that your word would continue to shape us and change us. And as your word rings out again throughout our land again this evening from many church buildings and online, we pray that it will not return to you without achieving all that you've planned for it to do. Help us now, Father, in our homes as we worship you. For those who are on their own in their living room this evening, for those who've gathered with their families this evening, for those who listen later, and we pray that as we hear your word, we would know the working of your spirit in our hearts and in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, I remind you that these Lord's Day evenings, we're in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, or should I really say the Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ by his Spirit, through his apostles and through his church. And that's what we've been seeing this evening. We're coming to uh, a section from Acts chapter 21, 37 through to Acts chapter 22 and 29. Uh, let me just remind you before we read this how Paul got to this point. He had been doing his missionary journeys around the various parts around Turkey and Greece. And he has now come back to Jerusalem. He and some other uh, men from the new churches have brought gifts for the church in Jerusalem and Judea where there, was a, uh, where there were great, great economic hardships and the wider church was providing for them. And when Paul came to Jerusalem, he was made aware that the, the Jews were continuing to stir up trouble for him and spreading rumor amongst the, the uh, Jewish Christians, and they'd become concerned. And so the leaders in the church of Jerusalem had a plan that Paul would, would show by 
going to the temple and uh, uh, by paying for the, the sacrifices that some men were to offer, that uh, it would be very clear to all his critics that he wasn't against God's people. He, he wasn't against the temple. He wasn't against the law, but uh, had preached that all these things were fulfilled in, in Christ. And uh, that seemed to have been a good plan. And Paul went with it. And it seems to have helped the, 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 the section of the church who were converted Jews. But it, it did stir up other trouble for Paul. The, the crowd of Jews who didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ were stirred up and they wanted to kill Paul. And so the Roman soldiers uh, come and they, they rescue him. They've come out of the barracks that was just next door and they rescued Paul. And as they're carrying Paul away, uh, Paul speaks to the leader of the soldiers and said, stop, please. I, I, want, to, I want to speak to my fellow countrymen. And that's where we, we break in. We begin our reading actually at the beginning of chapter 22. Paul is now from the steps that led up to the, uh, the Roman uh, fortress uh, of Antonio. He's standing in the steps and he ushers with his hands and the, the people are hushed. And we hear God's word from verse 1, chapter 22. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by, by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, 
Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, What are you about to do for this man as a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, Yes. The tribune answered, I, I bought this citizenship for a large sum, Paul said but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Well, we're going to look at this passage together this evening. Obviously, it's a long, long passage. We'll not have time to look at all the details of it, but Quite simply, the, the title I want to give to this explains what this is all about. It's all about the gospel. And that's what Paul was saying in this address that he, that he makes here. It is all about the gospel. Uh, today, in this wor new world that we're living in, uh, thankfully there are many who are trying to find a, a, a cure uh, for anyone who succumbs to COVID-19, as well as those who are seeking to find a, a vaccine. And imagine someone, by God's grace and mercy, comes up with a rock-solid cure. And it would cure anyone and everyone who had COVID-19, and it was sure to work. Well, that person would be very excited, wouldn't they? They would want everyone to know, we have found this great cure. And please take it. Well, what the Apostle Paul in chapter 22 of, of the book of Acts is doing is he is speaking to his fellow Jews and he is saying to them, I have found the one true remedy for something that is more serious than any uh, physical ailment that any of humanity would have. So here it is, and it's, it's not something new. It's something that you've known about and our fathers knew about. Please take it. So that's what Paul is doing here. He is, he is saying to his fellow Jewish countrymen, the gospel has changed my life. And it's not something that's brand spanking new. It's something that has been there. And by God's grace, I've discovered it as God has worked in my life. And please, he says, I beg you, receive it. Well, it's a very wonderful thing that Paul was speaking to this crowd at all. As I said in the introduction to the reading, they had just moments before this sought to, to kill Paul, and only for the intervention of the Roman soldiers, Paul would have been a, a dead man. 
what God had purposed for his life. And now with a, a heart that has been uh, utterly changed by God, the Apostle Paul, with great courage and wisdom, uh, wants to address his own fellow countrymen. And he wants to give them, as he says there in verse 2, he says to them, hear the defense. Uh, the, the word that is used here by Luke in the Acts, you would recognize if I even wrote it out for you in the Greek letters, you would recognize the English word. It's the English word apology. We use the word of apology sometimes. If, if I came to you and said to you, I, I, I would like to give you an apology, you would, you would immediately think, well, he said something wrong or done something wrong and he uh, seeks forgiveness. That's one way we use the word apology, but it is also used, and particularly in, uh, in these days in the Bible, it was used of, of giving a, a defense, a, an explanation, still used in that way in some quarters. So here's Paul, and he's giving an explanation to his fellow countrymen about, uh, about the gospel that has transformed his life. And he, he's not seeking to, to clear just his own name. He, he wants them to receive the gospel for themselves. As I said last week, we're in a part of Acts where the Apostle Luke now is recording for us the, the prison diaries of Paul. His, his, his roaming church planting days are over. And Luke spends, guided by the Holy Spirit, a quarter of this book of Acts recording this stage of the Apostle Paul's life, recording all his times of imprisonment, and is moving from one place to another. Why would God so guide Luke to write in this way? Well, for one reason, so that the church would forever know that this man, Saul of Tarsus, transformed to be Paul the Apostle, was God's man, was the man that God was using to bring the, the gospel to the ends of the earth. He could be trusted, the message it could be relied upon, and when he will be used of God to write a great part of the New Testament, that those writings can be de depended on because he was the spokesman of God. And so the Apostle Paul here is speaking to his fellow Jews, and he wanted them to receive the gospel, to be sure about this gospel, not to be confused about it. And there are three vital things that he uh, points that he makes about the gospel as he gives his apology, his defense, his explanation. First of all, he is speaking, and perhaps primarily in this section, as he speaks to his fellow countrymen, he is saying to them, the gospel is not new. That was part of the accusation that the Jews brought to Paul. He had just dreamt this up himself. Where did this teaching come from? It's, it's not something that we know. And Paul's heart was aching for his fellow countrymen who were, who were blinded by their, their sin to the truth of this gospel. And very winsomely, the apostle Paul, with love and uh, tenderness in his heart towards them and with courage, addresses them. And he spells out for them key truths. Remember, as I said, they're annoyed because they thought that Paul was teaching something new. They thought that Paul was propagating a message that was contrary to Moses, 
that was contrary to the temple and contrary to the law. A new message was their conclusion. And Paul is making great efforts and pains there to show his fellow countrymen, these Jews, that this gospel was not new, but rather it was the old, old story. So look at some of the connections that Paul makes as he seeks to show these men who are listening to him. I'm not bringing you something new, but this is the message that has been there from the beginning, even the way he addresses them. Fathers and brothers. It's not just simply he's wanted to get them on his sides. He is making a statement, even calling them fathers and brothers. He's saying, I belong to the Old Testament people of God, and the message that I'm bringing is right out of that. He says to them in verses, uh, verses 3 to 6, he begins, or rather in verse 2, before we look at 3 and 6, he, he speaks to them in the Hebrew language, their own language, the language that they often, uh, they have known this, the, the, the word of God from, and he knows their language. He's not some strange outsider with some new idea. And in 3 to 6, he lays out his credentials with the one purpose to reinforce that the message he was preaching was not new. What a an impressive set of credentials. Verse 3, I am a Jew. I'm not someone coming to you from some place way of the distant corners of the earth with some new idea. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, yes, but brought up in this city, in the city of Jerusalem. I've been here a very long time, and he said, I've been taught here, or educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He was the leading scholar, the, the leading conservative scholar amongst the Jews, and Paul has been taught at his feet. He's not some sort of strange person with weird ideas. He's been brought up in this great line. He, he tells us too in verse 3 that he was uh, zealous for God. Uh, so he, this is a man who is right in that path of the, of the Old Testament. And if there was anyone qualified to see that the gospel was not fake news, it was Saul of Tarsus. Of course, that was his initial conclusion that the gospel wasn't the truth. But this man will, will have the, the scales taken from his eyes and the blindness removed, and he'll see that all of the great teachings that he had for Gamaliel were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then the Apostle Paul shares with this crowd his own testimony. It's not the first time we've heard the account of Paul's conversion. Luke records it in, uh, earlier in this, in this book. And he, in, in Luke's first record of it, he has just simply given us the historical facts how Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. Paul now is bringing his own testimony, and he is highlighting specific things of it that will show his fellow countrymen that this gospel isn't new, that it is the old, old story's ultimate fulfillment. So he focuses on little details in his account of his conversion that will make this point for example, if you look at verse 12, 
the man Ananias who comes to him. Look at how Paul puts this when he's recounting his conversion. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sights. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying, here is this well-respected, solid Jewish citizen, and he was God's man in the unfolding of the path of my life. This isn't something new. This is something old. And look at what Ananias said to Paul. And again, Paul is highlighting specific things that will show and prove it's not new, this gospel I'm preaching. For example, verse 14, Ananias said to Saul of Tarsus, he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. Paul's making it abundantly clear. The words that Ananias, this devout Jew, brought show that what has transformed my life isn't new. It's the old gospel. The God of our fathers. Do you see the connection he's making into the past? Paul's saying, this is the path I'm on. I'm in the same path as the God of our fathers. My message was their message. And Ananias told it. Uh, when Ananias uh, uh, speaks of the righteous one. That was an Old Testament way of speaking of the Messiah uh, in Isaiah 53, for example. So Paul's big point here is, I haven't started this up. What I am preaching and teaching this gospel about Jesus Christ is the faith of our fathers. It's the fulfillment of all of that, all of that teaching. What a wonderfully important point it was. Paul had been right in the groove of Old Testament teaching. He wasn't the one who was bringing something new. It was the religious leaders around about him in that day. They were the ones who'd feared off the track and setting up all of their own do-it-yourself salvation, keep these laws, keep these regulations, do these religious things and and God will look with favor. That wasn't the religion of the God of their fathers. It was Paul who was in that path. And what a vital truth for you and I to be reminded of. This gospel isn't something that started at, uh, with Paul. This gospel is the, is the thread right throughout the revelation of God. Uh, the church of of the Lord Jesus Christ that we belong to. is isn't something new that it originated at Pentecost. It's the, it's the church that came right out of the wilderness. Adam and Eve, and uh, uh, before the wilderness rather, in the day, Adam and Eve, and Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and, and Samuel, and Rebecca, and Rahab, and Deborah, and Esther. This was their gospel. The gospel is not new. It is the old, old story. And that's what Paul was proving here as he gave his testimony to his fellow Jews. And when we tell the gospel, 
we should be at pains to point out to people too, this is something with very long roots. I'm telling you about, this is the message that God had from the very beginning. And the message that he revealed to our first parents, Adam and Eve, immediately after they'd sinned, the message that he had uh, put together and planned from all eternity. What a glorious gospel. But the second thing that we see in this passage is that the gospel is directed by God. It's his gospel, and he can direct its course and its path as he sees fit. Here are these rumbling rioters, and they are fuming with Paul. In their opinion, he's an upstart. And Paul is at pains to point out that he wasn't doing any of this off his own bat, but it was the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the one at the center of the gospel, who had directed all of this. Paul said uh, at the start of his defense that he was just like his fellow countrymen. He was zealous. In fact, so zealous was he, verse 4, he said to them, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And he says to them in verse 5, and you can go and check. Go and ask your high priests. Go and ask the council of elders. They'll tell you exactly what I was doing. That was the path of my life until God broke in and God changed the direction. God shone the bright lights into my life that I could see the error of my previous thinking. And, and he was directing all of this. The one who was no longer in the tomb, but was, had risen and defeated death and was in heaven. Paul says, he, he's governing everything in the development of this course of this truth that has come flowing right out of the Old Testament. Look what he says in verse 17. He is, he's reflecting now on something that happened a little bit later. And he said, when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. You remember we saw before the temple was still in place and uh, uh, the Christians from, converted from a Jewish background, they, they, they went along not to offer sacrifices to, uh, to find salvation, but they went in devotion to God. And he he said, I had this strange experience. I, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, it wasn't something that I thought, well, here's a good idea. No, it was this risen Lord Jesus Christ that appeared to him. And he said to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they'll not accept your testimony about me. Paul saying, I wasn't directing this. It was the risen Lord Jesus Christ who was directing me, brought change in my life, and see more of that in a moment, and directed the course of my life. Look what he goes on to say in this paragraph in verse 20. Sorry, in verse 19. And, and I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after, synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by, approving and watching over the garments. And he said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. 
That was the doing of the risen Lord of all, the one who was in charge of the direction of the flow of the gospel out from this, uh, the, the people of the, of the Jewish nation out to the ends of the earth. I didn't do it. It was the Lord who directed it all. It is a strange thing, isn't it? Well, well think of it. Here is this man, Paul of Tarsus. He's, he's been taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He knows, the, he knows how they think, how they tick. It would seem to me, uh, perhaps to you as well, the most obvious thing is that Saul of Tarsus would be the, would be the preacher to the, to the Jews. But the risen Lord Jesus directing the life and the development of the, of the church, he says to this man, I'm sending you far away to the Gentiles. Don't ever imagine, Christian friend, this evening that you and I know exactly how our God works. Oh yes, we find him in the scripture and we can see usual patterns that he works in. But let's never imagine that we've got God in a box, as it were. He directs the flow of the gospel. He directs uh, men uh, whom he calls into ministry and where he puts them in ministry. It's the risen Lord Jesus Christ who's in charge of it all. And Paul, uh, the apostle, was confirmed as the great preacher far away to the Gentiles. And isn't that great news for you and me? That this gospel would ripple out and fall to the, at the, at, into the pathway of our lives. That we would hear this gospel that has this great message of pardon from all our sin as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, the Lord Jesus gave me the orders and he directs all the affairs of the spread of the gospel. Oh, what a great truth that is. Sometimes we get so anxious about the, the spread of the gospel in a particular way or, or, or a church or a congregation of God's people. Here's Paul saying, the risen Lord Jesus Christ is governing the flow of the spread of the gospel and he will have his servants where he will have them. And it'll all be for his glory. Gospel's not you. The gospel is directed by our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And third and finally, the gospel transforms lives. Someone said to us that they'd found the cure for this awful disease that has taken the lives of so many one of the questions surely we would ask would be, is it effective in all situations? Does this cure cover all cases? Well, what the Apostle Paul is saying as he bore testimony to Jesus Christ, that this gospel that is old, that is from the depths of the Old Testament, this gospel that is directed by the Lord Jesus, it is effective. He said to this crowd in verse 4, basically, I was just like you. Here were these people and they were persecuting the way. 
They were persecuting him. And Paul says, I persecuted this way to the death. I did even worse things than you're doing to me. I gathered up men and women wherever I could find them. I was such a fanatic. I, I, I walked great distances with letters in my hands from religious authorities just in case I might find someone who believed in this. And Paul is saying, if he can save a wretch like me, he can rescue men and women like you. You see, this crowd that were baying for Paul's blood, they were not beyond the saving grace of God. The God that had transformed the apostle or Saul of Tarsus into the apostle Paul could save any of these who were before him if that was his purpose. And how encouraging for us. There are no lost causes. There are no men and women that we could look at and imagine in our thinking, well, they could never become a Christian. Just look at the mess of their lives. Well, look at Paul, or look at Saul, I should say, of Tarsus. Maybe someone would say to us, oh, but this person I'm thinking about, they're so antagonistic. They don't give a thought for the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And Saul of Tarsus, he would say, but, but look what he did for me. He would, say to, he would say to us, I left my home one day, heart bent on removing the gospel from the face of the earth. And he changed me. And Paul never forgot the great transforming grace of God. Towards the end of his life, writing to Timothy, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, that he might display his perfect patience. Oh, but someone might say, but he couldn't save me. I sin, I've sinned against great knowledge. I've known this gospel story. Well, wasn't that Saul of Tarsus? Steeped in the scripture, what knowledge he had. He'd heard Stephen speak so clearly of Jesus Christ and kicked against the, the pricking of his own heart. And God wonderfully saved and transformed him. How sad then the response of the crowd in verse 22. Up to this word they listened to him. Up to what word? Well, just one. Gentiles. And that was it. Gentiles. You see, in their religious thinking, they were the sort of people whom God liked. We love to try and do what God wants us to do. And we've made all these little laws and rules to help us. Our God isn't the God of anybody else but us. And they hated this message because Paul was preaching a message that was offered freely to the people, to the ends of the earth. And they were so enraged, they said, away with such a fellow, kill him is what they're saying. He should not be allowed to live. And we're told in the very next verse that they've, they were flinging dust in the air 
They couldn't get rocks to stone them to death. They're throwing up their cloaks and the dust. They're in a rage and they want to kill him because the message that Paul was bringing, that sinners are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and it matters not where they are from or what they have done, but if they'll flee to Jesus Christ, he'll save them and he'll rescue and he'll wash away their sins. This passage, as it comes to a conclusion, shows us in a wonderful way the love of God for the lost of this world. Because these religious fanatics who hate the gospel want Paul to be killed in the spot. And God sends again a rescue squad. We'll see more of it, God willing, next time. A rescue squad of Roman soldiers to lift Paul out of this so that the Apostle Paul will go on to bring this good news to the distant corners of the earth of that day, to Rome, to men and women, to, to the rulers of the earth. And it was in his love for sinners that God did that. What a great message we have to proclaim, a gospel that transforms lives, let us be full of expectation that our God hasn't changed and he's able to save to the uttermost all who call on him through this glorious gospel. God willing, as we return to our building, may we be like the Apostle Paul in all that we do and all that we say and in all that we live. It is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's sing about the going out of that gospel as we turn to some words in Psalm 45. We're seeing the opening four verses. The psalmist is picturing a great king, a great king putting on his regalia for battle and going throughout the earth and bringing victory and extending his kingdom. And as we sing it, we're singing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, going out throughout his, throughout his world by his Spirit and through his church. And we're praying, O oh Lord Jesus, gird your sword on your thigh, go out and do battle and win the hearts and lives of many and call men and women to fall before you and acknowledge you as King. Psalm 45, 1-4, the tune is 197. My heart it overflows, and all the theme I sing. My tongue's already writer's pen, reciting to the King, reciting to the King. Most fair among men's sons, grace on your lips is poured. Therefore, his blessing evermore has God on you bestowed, has God on you bestowed. Your sword grows on your thigh, O you whom I 
and clothe yourself in majesty, your glory show apart, your glory show Victorious pride in saint, for meekness, truth, and right, and your right hand will teach to you the fearful deeds of might, the fearful deeds of might. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with Christ's church this night and evermore. Amen. <laughs>